Wendell Vaughn, the first Earthman ever appointed protector of the universe, bonded to the energy-transforming quantum bands that are both weapons and symbols of his station. He fights an ongoing battle to defend all life in the universe from cosmic evil. Stanley presents Quasar. Welcome to the Quantum Cast, your source for all things Quasar. I'm Gene Hendricks, and with me is one of my closest childhood friends, Jeff Fishman. How you doing, Jeff? Excelsior! Ah, I love that opening. Gene, <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing, man? I'm so glad that you uh, suggested we did a uh, podcast like this. I hope that uh, people enjoy it. I hope and, so, too. <laughs> yeah, and let's uh, let's just jump right in. So, uh, where would you like to begin being this is our first podcast? Well, how about we just go into... Why the heck are two guys pushing 40 starting a podcast? Wow. <laughs> That's, uh... You know, when you put it like that, I feel a little bit sad. But, uh... <laughs> I, just because uh, you're older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a... Um, yes. So, why are we doing a podcast? Well, it's not that for, for looking for things to do. I mean, I don't know... I know, I know you're a successful engineer. I'm a financial planner. Uh, I think it's that we finally have come into our own as adults, where all the geeky, nerdy things that people in high school just didn't get and people in college just didn't get are now in vogue. Like, all the stuff, I'm going to use, try not to use curse words, um, but all the stuff that we were into for the past 40 years are now cool. I mean, I've got... Uh, the Avengers are 50 years old. I've got 45 plus years worth of those books. I've read every single one of them. And now people like that stuff. And so <laughs> now they have time. big blockbuster movies that everyone's going to go see that you know, know. stars all these things that we always liked. <laughs> I know. It's, it's great. It's great. I mean, like part of my nerd rage says, no, this is my thing. But then I think to myself, no, let's other, other people enjoy. And then I, and then I can be cool for once. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it, I think. And, yeah. Uh, speaking of, you know, we've liked this stuff for, for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, you were telling me off the air mm-hmm. that about your earliest m- memory of reading. Now, what yes. was that again? So, okay. Um, believe it or not, my earliest memory of reading, and this is, you know, again, looking at the pictures at two years old, mm-hmm. um, was, and I happen to have it in front of me, is Avengers number 166, circa 1977. This would have been when Count Nefaria first gets his ionic powers. Wow. And, yeah, and it's a great read. I just finished reading it again for, like, the umpteenth millionth time, but <laughs> have not read it in, say, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it still holds up. It's still a great book. And, um, you know, I attribute that much of my success in life to comic books, uh, you know, broadening my horizons, making me uh, see the world through different eyes. Certainly the morality tales are never a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And I would say that and Dungeons and Dragons really helped me be successful in my professional life. So all of your moms and dads out there that are listening to this podcast, and of course, I'm sure you agree with me because why else would you be listening to this podcast of all podcasts? But <laughs> it really is a good thing because the comic books, again, broaden your horizons, challenge your vocabulary, uh, introduce you to different subjects. The morality tales, as I mentioned, are a very good thing. But on top of all of that, 
I have to add Dungeons and Dragons because as a mm -hmm. financial planner, it's just numbers. Except oh, for yeah. now there's dollar signs versus experience points. Yeah. And it's maximizing, here's the assets I've got, how do I maximize their allocation? And uh, that's a beautiful thing. How about you, Gene? Uh, tell me a little bit about you. Tell me why comic books are so important to you. And, I mean, I know they are, but these people are just learning <laughs> yeah, about no, it now. Yeah, no one else knows. Well, um, I... See, my earliest reading memory, it was a little later than yours, but I don't remember anything before the first day of kindergarten. That's gotcha. just the way my mind works. But mm -hmm. the first book, to use the term loosely, that I ever mm -hmm. read was Incredible Hulk number 267, which came mm -hmm. out uh, cover date January 1982. Okay. Now, this was a comic that we always... I always had, and in my memory, that was always there. It was in a drawer in the dresser at my grandparents' house in Fanwood, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And that was one that I, whenever we would go up there to visit, uh, I say go up for you people listening because Jeff and I are from South Jersey, not North gotcha. Jersey. Um, sure. And this thing, I would, I actually read it three different ways. Okay. I read it just looking at the pictures because mm -hmm. when I, the first time I remember it, I couldn't read. Then I read just the, the, the text and thought, you know, in the thought balloons and word balloons, because for whatever reason, I didn't think that the editorial narration boxes were anything I needed to worry about. <laughs> so like half the story is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, you yeah basically. I had absolutely no context for what was going on, but then I eventually read it the right way and uh -huh. to the point where I don't have this comic anymore because I literally read it until it fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's fascinating. I never thought about it before, but you're right. When I first started to learn to read, it was just looking at the pictures, and then you read the word balloons because all that – I mean – Stan Lee, God love him, man. He loves to hear himself write. And <laughs> you got boxes and boxes of stuff, and you don't think it's important to the storyline, but then you don't really know what the hell's going on. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I never thought about it before, but, yeah, I did the same thing. Well, I think we've firmly established our geek cred for this podcast. <laughs> That's right. Should I tell them that I've got 10,000 comic books worth, a uh, collection worth about 30 grand sitting in one of my upstairs bedrooms? Uh, go for it. <laughs> I, I have a 10,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's a bad thing to be a 40-year-old child with money. It's... Uh... <laughs> It doesn't suck, let me say that. Yeah, see, I, I just live vicariously through my daughter. That's true, there <laughs> she you go. Actually, she actually came in mm -hmm. the other day, mm -hmm. and she said, Daddy, why don't you give me your comic books? <laughs> 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 to which That's I awesome. handed her two. I handed her number issues one and two of Superman and Bugs Bunny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I said, here, you can have these. The rest uh -huh. I'm keeping for now. You can, I'll give you more later. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that I noticed that the DC comics, mm -hmm. and for those of you that will continue to listen to us, uh, both Gene and I have a severe prejudice against DC. Uh, mine uh, is much more severe than, than his. Um, I, I, I wouldn't go, I like DC. Uh, see, I, uh, Green Lantern, uh, Green Lantern is cool, but other than Green Lantern, I... You got a problem with DC, but I what I what I wanted to note was mm -hmm. you give you you the Superman comic had as much value to you mm. as the Bugs Bunny comic book, <laughs> <laughs> which is to say next to none. 
Well, the title was actually Superman and Bugs Bunny. They were both appearing in the same comic. <laughs> <laughs> of course they were. Of course they were. Uh, well, I'd I, I bring up Howard the Duck, but no one wants to go over that. <laughs> now, come on. You make one mistake in the 80s, and they're going to hold it. Next, you bring up Fourbrush Man. <laughs> with the no power. <laughs> was it no power or unpower? I'm sure somebody. I, will I think me it was online. the unpower, but I'm not. Yeah. I I don't remember entirely. That's well, correct. now that we've successfully meandered off topic, mm-hmm. why don't we head back? And why don't here here is going to be the major question. I think a lot of people are going to ask. You know, all three of them when they listen to this. <laughs> right? Who the hell is Quasar? Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> exactly. Who is Quasar? <laughs> why are we talking about him? Uh, do you want me to jump in? Go for it. All right. So. I believe that Quasar is a, he's certainly a, a C-lister, maybe even a D-lister, um, but is the unsung glue of the Marvel Universe. Um, he's kind of the Kevin Bacon of the Marvel Universe because he's always popping up in the weirdest places. Um, I think that it's important to note that next to, say, Thanos, Jean Grey, and Wonder Man, who are who is one of my absolute favorites, he has died and come back, you know, next to the three of them, has died and come back the most in Marvel Comics. Um, And as Gene has pointed out to me, uh, in his own series, he's died, like died, died, and had afterlife experiences and came back in his own, uh, in his own series. Twice. Twice Twice. in his own series. In 60 issues, he (laughs) died and came back twice. (laughs) Right. And not only that, but, you know, he dies and comes back in Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a movie that's coming out this spring. Uh, No, summer, right? Summer. Summer, summer movie. August. August, um, which I'm really looking forward to. But, yeah, so he was a a big player in that um, and uh, died and came back, came back, died, and then came back again uh, during that run, which was uh, in the 2000s. Um, and, uh, just, you know, really, really like your quintessential underdog type character. And the other thing I really like about him, and then I'll shut up and let Gene talk is for any of you old Dr. Strange fans, uh, you're dealing with a lot of really abstract concepts in the Quasar books, not necessarily in the first couple of issues, but they certainly set it up right away where you're dealing with the manifestations of the abstract concepts, you know, there's like your infinity, your oblivion, your death, your eternity. Um, he, you know, uh, he actually becomes much like Thanos is the avatar of death. Uh, Quasar eventually becomes the avatar for infinity, uh, which is eternity's sister. And if you don't know those names, shame on you, go on the Marvel Wikipedia page, because these are the kind of things that Quasar begins dealing with. So it's a little, it's kind of esoteric. Um, and it's also, on top of that, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Like, uh, when we get to issue three uh, in the next podcast, he, you know, it's the typical thing. You know, new superhero comes on the scene. There's got to be a fight with another superhero because there's a misunderstanding. And naturally, since it was the 80s, it's got to be the Human Torch because that's the go-to guy for that. And Quasar, in his own comic, does the whole tongue-in-cheek. Like, what are we going to have, a superhero battle over a misunderstanding? So... The writers of this thing really had their pulse on you know what was going on in it, and it led the way for some of our more modern type uh, comics where they they recognized and pointed out the idiosyncrasies of the medium at the time, and then by breaking that fourth wall, it opens up for other type of uh, for the comics we enjoy in, in modern times. 
That, yeah, that's all good reason. I, I really love the humor myself, but mm-hmm. one of the, the things that drew me to Quasar, mm-hmm. he's a geek. Sure. You read the comics and you understand this is someone living in the Marvel Universe who is like us. Mm-hmm. You, in fact, I'm going to point out when we go through issue one, mm-hmm. if you look at his room, that is a geek room. He's got a microscope, he's got a telescope, he's got a poster of Captain America on the wall. <laughs> it's true. It's so, true. I mean, this this is more than, like, Ben Grimm or Steve Rogers or Tony mm-hmm. Stark. This is a character that the reader can really identify with. It's someone who doesn't think he does the best job. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's a failure. Mm-hmm. And, or he could have found a better way to do things. Mm-hmm. And also, when he when he's around Captain America, he is just like, <laughs> Cap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has a nerdgasm. I yeah, exactly. Totally. Totally. Yeah, you're, you know, it's a good point. That's a really, really good point, because I just turned to that page, and you're absolutely right. There's the Cap poster. Um uh, there's actually, if you look in the, in the in the far back of that panel, I actually think that's a, a picture of Giant Man. Uh, but you know, it's in the in, it's in the background, so it's not really well illustrated. But right. um, typical antenna, uh, uh, Giant Man antennas. Um, but you're right, and he's a guy that you know he's he's like if any other geek who just likes you know is smart and you know kind of a little bit of self doubt going on, a little bit of confidence issues all of a sudden finds himself with great power and great responsibility, how is he going to behave? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good points, good points. All right, well, uh, why don't we take a break, and mm-hmm. then when we come back, we will go over issue number one of Quasar, the Cosmic Protector. Good job. See you in a few. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who... I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I've been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called News from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. And we're back. 
Now, as I said before, we're going to get into Quasar number one. Now, this this issue has a cover date of 1989 in October. Uh, originally released, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on June 13th, 1989. Note the four-month difference. Cover price, $1. Uh-huh. Oh, the outrageous, $1. Why are we going to pay this much for a comic book? <laughs> no, it's like four bucks now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, you feel old? I, yeah, I feel really old. <laughs> anyway, title of the issue is The Price of Power. <clears throat> Story by Mark Grunewald, who I believe, I should have done the real research on this, but I believe he is the writer for all 60 issues of the series. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. Uh, breakdowns by Paul Ryan, finishes by Danny, I'm going to butcher this, Bulanati. Uh, letters, Jazz Chang. Colors, Paul Beckton. Edits, Howard Mackey. And chief editor is Tom DeFalco. Mm. The cover is by Paul Ryan and shows Quasar, in a costume you won't get until issue number two, flying over a city, presumably New York, and firing blasts from his wristbands. Mm-hmm. It says, The Cosmic Avenger, now in his own book, and featuring the untold origin of Quasar. We start with an opening splash of Robert Grayson, a.k.a. Marvel Boy, blasting what looks like a 1950s street gang. He's wearing the same bracelets as Quasar on the cover. We shift scenes quickly to Marvel Boy fighting the Fantastic Four, and the narrator tells us that he disappeared for a decade, and then when he came back, he had gone bonkers. Mm. His power overwhelms him, and Marvel Boy disintegrates. Reed Richards confiscates the wristbands without putting them on, which were the only things left after Marble Boy disappeared, but Mm -hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D. confiscated them from Richards. Nick Fury, who has been showing this film to a group of scientists and Tony Stark, tells him that he wants to know how the bands work. Mm -hmm. Stark agrees, and, on the way out, one of the scientists approaches Nick Fury and asks about his son, Wendell Vaughn, who is a trainee. We switch to Wendell, who in his hand-to-hand combat class fights a fellow cadet, Gail Rusinter? Rusinter? I, sure, why not? Uh, we only okay. see her like once or twice ever <laughs> right. again. It doesn't matter and what her name is. She's... <laughs> Gail. <laughs> yeah, right. right. And... She, she's down there below Rocket Raccoon on the, on the, uh, <laughs> the lister. But of course, Rocket Raccoon's in a movie now, so exactly. there you go. Riding a talking tree. <laughs> exactly. Uh, while Grayson, or while uh, Vaughn fights her, mm-hmm. uh, his father is led into the ob- observation room by Dum Dum Duggan. Mm-hmm. Is it Duggan or Dugan? I always pronounce it Dugan, but um, I, and I guess it's a printed word, you know. Yeah. So it's I guess whatever your regional dialect is. For those of you that only seen the Captain America movie, he's the guy in the bowler hat that drives the tank and screams Wahoo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, however, his father leaves before Wendell knows he's been there. Uh, Vaughn next goes in front of the review committee, where Dum Dum tells him that he's got top marks in everything, but he doesn't have that killer instinct. The fight to the until the end that makes him that would make him a great combat agent. So mm-hmm. he's told to go away. Uh, he assures Vaughn that he has a place in Shield, and it'll be his assignment soon. Uh, Vaughn is dejected, thinking he's a failure. Mm. A day later, outside of Pittsburgh, Dr. Vaughn and his team are putting the bands through their paces and nothing's happening. 
One of the scientists, a Stanley Zane, leaves for a snack and signals an outside group about the locations of the Golden Apples. Three days after that, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Wendell is moping in his mom's house when he gets his assignment from S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a security guard for his father's project. Two days later, back in Pittsburgh, we're jumping all over the place, people, <clears throat> Wendell is starting a security gig, and the test pilot, William Wesley, arrives and puts on the bands. Can I interrupt you real quick, Gene? Go I think for it's it. real important to note that, uh, that our friend Wendell, uh, to become Quasar, is, you know, he's depressed. He hasn't left his room, uh, his childhood mm-hmm. room for days. He feels like a failure. And in reading this, he believes that the only reason why he got a field assignment was because his dad pulled strings for him, which makes him feel even worse because he didn't, whatever he did earn, he feels like he didn't earn it on his own. So right. that makes him even feel even more self-conscious. So when he gets his assignment, he is basically, he's just going through the motions. Right. I would believe, I mean, that's how I interpret it. Okay. okay, thank thank you for pointing that out. Mm-hmm. Once Wesley puts the bands on, he is put through the uh, all kind of tests and everything, and after about three hours, they start to get concerned because the energy keeps building up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team decides to end the session, and then Wesley realizes the bands will not come off, mm. and he freaks. Yeah. Flies up in the air, and just like Marvel Boy, disintegrates. Mm-hmm. The bands mm-hmm. fall back to Earth. They are collected, and they are about to take him back inside the installation when it is attacked. Turns out that Zane was calling to AIM, Advanced Idea Mechanics. Mm-hmm. Wendell, in order to protect the bands and the people, puts them on and attacks AIM. Mm-hmm. It's a complete route, but the energy just keeps building up. He mm-hmm. can't hear when his father shouts that the more energy he uses, the more it builds up. Mm-hmm. Figuring he can blow off all the energy at once, he completely bisects the fleeing AIM ship, but that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. In order not to hurt anyone else, he flies high in the air. And this is key, people. Listen to this. As he goes up, he accepts that he has failed and lets go, riding the energy like a wave. As soon as he stops fighting it, the energy dissipates and he flies back to Earth. When he lands, his father hugs him, fearing that Wendell was dead. We end with Nick Fury arriving with a proposal for Wendell Vaughn. He is enrolled in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s super agent program and given a replica of Marble Boy's uniform. After six months, we are told he left the program and forged his own legend, the legend of Quasar. And that is issue one. That's a great job, Gene. I think uh, one of the things I really want to point out here is that um, for those of you that might have just skipped over it, the reason why S.H.I.E.L.D. was reluctant to give him a field placing was because he lacked, quote, in the book, that killer instinct, um, which is something Wendell beats himself up over. Uh, but it's the fact that he did not have that killer instinct, that he wasn't an aggressive douchebag, uh, like the test pilot who exploded. That's not fair. You know, the test pilot was only on three pages in the one comic. We might have been a lovely person, but I'm going to assume that he was a jerk. Um, and by going with the flow of power and riding it and becoming one with it versus trying to wrestle it to the ground and, you know, alpha male himself, uh, uh, you know, into control, uh, is what prevented him from exploding and ultimately allows him to control. It's very Zen-like where he's becomes one with the energy that he's now, uh, has uh, some control over. 
Right. He he basically he he says right in there he rides it like a wave. Mm-hmm, he doesn't mm-hmm. fight it. And as you and I know, growing up at the shore, you don't want to fight some of these waves. You get <sighs> knocked on go. your butt, and yeah, that's a whole another story. I'm not going to get into. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> all right. So, what'd you think? I man, I love it. And um, I first of all, I'm. I'm glad you took issue number one because issue number two is, is, is my favorite. Um, in fact, I didn't have issue number one for a time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, you know, when, you know, you didn't have the internet, the interwebs <laughs> to get things. You had to go to the comic book shop, and if you missed it, you're SOL. Right. So my collection of Quasar for, you know, let's say from 89 through, you know, 95 uh, started with issue number two, and it wasn't until I could hunt down things on my own as an adult that I was able to get the missing issues. Mm-hmm. So issue number two for me is issue number one. And I must've read this thing a hundred times. It's one of my all time <laughs> favorites. Um, so do you want to take a break or do you want to jump straight into this? Well, let's, uh, let's jump right into it. Let's, let's get going. Okay. You know, uh, we'll, we'll power through it and then we can, uh, we can come back and talk about, you know, the, any specifics we liked or disliked. Gotcha. Fair enough. Okay. Okay, so um, issue number two, uh, we begin, cover is Quasar in the costume that he's going to get later in this issue, uh, firing an energy blast, uh, what it looks like on an alien world, there's a broken dome city in the background, he's firing it at uh, some guy that I have never seen before this issue, uh, no face, no distinguishing characteristics, uh, completely pitch black, with white gloves, white boots, and a white cape holding some sort of a trident-esque uh, sphere. Mm. Um, so have no idea who that guy is. And floating in the background uh, is... You think he's a bad guy, because he looks like a mm-hmm. bad guy. Uh, we're later going to find out his name is Eon. Uh, but it basically looks like um, an asteroid with a face on it and a giant eye with hair. And covered in moss. So, you know, again, to not to spoil it a little bit, but this turns out to be someone very important and turns out to be a protagonist type character. But again, with uh, what we talk about with Quasar being more esoteric, start, starting to dealing with these abstract concepts, something that looks like it should be the bad guy is actually the good guy. Um, and I don't know about you, but I kind of like the fact that, you know, our heroes in this one looks like it should be a monster. And the other one is because so many self doubts that, uh, it's almost crippling at times. So opening up page one, and let me give the credits where credits are due. Our writer here is Mark Ruinwald. Did I pronounce that correctly? I think so. Okay. Penciler, Paul Ryan, inker, Danny Bulanati, letterer, Janice Chiang. Colorist, Paul Becton, editor, Howard Mackey, and the man, and that's how he's billed in this one, Tom DeFaco. Uh, this is from November of 1989, and we open to Quasar in deep space, bubbled in an energy cocoon as he normally is, in the old costume from the end of issue number one. His hair, no longer short and tight is very long he's got a beard he looks like he's asleep and what we find out is that uh he um is on a deep space mission 
and is strapped with all kinds of electronic gear and surveillance gear and medical gear and has been put into deep hibernation uh, as he hurtles towards the outer solar system. Uh, we're told that every 100,000 kilometers or so, uh, his brain plucks an image out of subconscious because even though his uh, respiratory rates and his um, vital signs have been uh, slowed down to a hundredth their normal rate, uh, his mind is in a deep sleep, and so it pulls an image from the past. And so, of course, this is before the days that Marvel did the, the synopsis on the first page. So we've got several panels, you know, retelling, you know, issue number one, showing his time in uh, the super agent program that Gene had mentioned, which, by the way, if you watch uh, Disney XD or whatever channel it is, Spider-Man's in a very similar S.H.I.E.L.D. program as a youth. Um, again, not canon, but certainly a lot of fun to watch if you're into that kind of thing. It also tells us ex exploits of working with Captain America. It tells us exploits um, as head of security at Project Pegasus. Uh, talks, it makes mention of the uh, Serpent Crown, which was a very good uh, crossover event. But in all these events, he... Um, you know, felt like he could do better. He was disappointed with himself. You know, a lot of self-loathing going on with this guy, uh, which, again, you know, 89, how old was I? I was certainly a teenager, so I could certainly relate to that. Gene, I'm sure you would agree. Yeah, so he resigns, and then uh, he puts away his costume for the next month and visits with his father, the scientist who was working on the bands. Mind you, the bands can't come off, so he's stuck with them. And Dr. Vaughn, his father, suggests that, hey, why don't you go and check out Uranus? <laughs> waka, waka, waka. <laughs> Obligatory right. adolescent life. Uh, why, don't, <laughs> why don't you explore Uranus, son? <laughs> God, I'm eating here. Um, so why don't you explore Uranus, which is apparently where Bob Grayson, the quote-unquote and you'll see why I say that later, original uh, wielder of the bands, got them from weeks of exhaustive preparation, equipment-laden adventure, penetrated the envelope of atmosphere surrounding his home planet for the first time and promptly went to sleep. Now, let me uh, just interject something yeah, do what here, you if you do. don't mind. Uh, these <clears throat> two pages of this whole mm -hmm. recap here, this is essentially a, about seven years' worth of comics. Because it takes us from pretty much when Quasar mm -hmm. premiered through all the different things that he mm -hmm. had done. And then it also explains where the heck has he been. Because I don't think he appeared in a comic from like 1984 through 1989. When he got I completely series. agree. And it says, it says he's been in hibernation for several years. Um, it's an undefined mm -hmm. several years. I believe later in this comic book it he specifically says two years, but they're a little bit vague about it. Um, so I don't want to quote that two years because, you know, it's like in most comics, they say one thing on one panel and then they allude to something more elsewhere. Anyway, so he's getting close to Uranus, Gene. So watch out. And mm, no. <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> it doesn't ever stop being funny. Um, and, uh, so he, um, starts to come through come to he gets uh, what does it say here that i found amusing it says uh the intravenous tube providing him nourishment sends stimulants through his blood uh the gas that has slowed his bodily functions to a crawl is replaced by pure oxygen which is not good for you i think pure oxygen no. does some really wacky things to your but you know again it's a comic book so we're gonna we're gonna let that slide mm -hmm. um 
So he's waking up and he feels groggy, which you would. He notes that he has no muscle tone, so he starts exercising in deep space, which you can do when you're Quasar. And uh, he begins sending transmissions back to Earth, and they make uh, sure to uh, mention that there's going to be a lag time between uh, transmissions, so he transmits, time passes, you know, there's a response. Uh, he gets to the planet, he starts doing some reconnaissance, you know, does a lap around the equator, lap around the poles, blahzy, blahzy, blahzy. Bands are sparkling like they detected some sort of energy anomaly, and off he goes. During said exploration, he finds a domed city with an enormous crack in the uh, life dome. The, um, and it turns out that uh, he's found the Uranian colony, and it's got a giant hole in it, uh, in its life support dome, which I just said. He begins exploring the, uh, the dome. He sees all of these Uranians that are frozen solid, uh, kind of creepy. Uh, he finds nothing to, he was half expecting to find everyone here wearing the wristbands, but they're not. He uh, finds a museum. He starts going through that and he says, oh, there's a metal head. Looks familiar. I, I swore, I, I could have sworn I have seen pictures of that when I was a kid. Um, that Fantastic Four battled a robot like this once. And of course, you and I know, since we are just, mm. just ingrained in the, in the comic society, that is a pre-century <laughs> Um, blah, 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 more existential angst. Um, and then he notices that the radio is dead and he's not getting any responses from Earth. And he freaks out a little bit. He throws off all his equipment. He laughs, the maniacal laugh. And then, um, here I am a couple of billion miles from home, standing in a dead city with no one but corpsicles to uh, talk to. I still don't know whatever possessed me to make this trip. What am I doing here? Why did I agree to this? Um, blasey, blasey, blasey. And then, of course, from the shadows steps that mysterious figure I mentioned that has no distinguishing body characteristics. He's pitch black except for white gloves, white boots, and a white cape. Which, again, 1989, we're just going to accept that's the style hmm. today. This fellow announces himself to be Death Urge. And uh, he says, what do you, Quasar says, uh, what are you doing here? What do you want? And Death Urge nonchalantly says, I want what you want, your death. Well, what are you talking about? I came here seeking answers, not death. Your heart is mine to peer into, and I see the truth. You have come here to seek freedom from all responsibility, from life itself. I appear whenever men have lost their will to live, to strive, to endure. I am the messenger of oblivion. I am the embodiment of the living organism's darkest impulse self-destruction so again okay maybe he's drawn a little bit uh, goofy but this is where quasar starts getting into those really existential things that we were mm -hmm. talking about where you know there are four siblings that are primal forces in the universe there's eternity whose body is the universe there's infinity who represents time there is death death got it and then the fourth is oblivion the lack of existence and death urge is who you would think would be the avatar of death but he's not because it's self-destruction. It's not about dying. It's about no longer existing. And when you no longer exist or cease to exist, uh, then you're talking about oblivion. And quick aside, um, Iceman, of all characters, had this really great miniseries where uh, he was, you know, had to fight off oblivion because uh, Iceman went through a, a whole existential blah, 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 blah. Anyway, back to topic. So Death Urge proceeds to tell um, 
Huizar that the Uranians were actually an offshoot of the uh, Eternals which uh, you and I may know, uh, you may remember that there is a uh, contingent of Eternals that live um, uh, in Greece and were often mistaken mm -hmm. for the Olympian gods, which is why their names are very similar. And then, of course, an offshoot from that lives on Titan, which is where Thanos comes from, because Thanos is um, the son of Mentor, and Mentor was the leader of that group of Eternals. So apparently there's yet a third Eternal offshoot that... Um, lived on Uranus. <laughs> um, they're scholars and philosophers and, you know, lived peaceably as every alien culture does because it's only here on Earth that we can't get our stuff together. So, you know, we're the ones that are screwed up. Um, so they're philosophers and scientists and one day, uh, about a thousand of your Earth years ago, one of the Uranians discovered the equation that explains the universe. It took several hundred more years to check the calculations and verify its uh, conclusions uh, experimentally, but the equation turned out to be correct. And so, of and course, the answer was forty-two. And the answer was forty-two. <laughs> right? Exactly. So, okay, sounds great, right? But now they're bored because they're Eternals and they're bored. And so what they do is they start reaching out into the universe and they catch uh, Bob Grayson, who was the Marvel boy who wore the bands before Quasar. And he's a scientist and they build a rocket and they go to, to, um, to Uranus. And I'm going to stop with that joke because now it's getting old. Um, and, you know, as under the guise of scientific exchange, uh, but while they're there, the Uranians study him and learn the secret to mortality and make it so they can die. But of course, they have difficulty pulling the trigger, so to speak. And so Death Urge appears and says, or tells them that he had appeared and said, I had learned uh, of their abject despair by then. And with their most ardent blessings, I rent the tear in their life dome. Their life force is now eviscerated. They were able to at last to die. I watched them all meet oblivion with open arms and loving smiles. Which is extremely disturbing. Right. It really is. It really is. Which is why comic books are not just for children. They're mostly mm -hmm. not for children unless it's Superman and Bugs Bunny. Uh, <laughs> oh, I went back to that. Anyway, so then it recounts Bob, uh, our Bob, friend Bob, who uh, is a whiny little bitch, and came back to Uranus. And was all sad, and then came back to Earth on a tear, and then exploded. So Wendell then starts arguing that I don't really want to die. You're mistaken. And Deathard says, "No, I listen. I know you can kid yourself, but you can't kid me. I know. I know you want to die, and I'm here, and I'm going to help you." Uh, says your father's shield protect um, your father's shield uh, at Project Pegasus. Wait, your father shield. Project Pegasus, you've let them all down, haven't you? And so you've given up. You feel it is a waste of your effort to go on. Yet your cowardice won't permit you to dispatch yourself, so you undertook this voyage with the hope that some mishap would end it all for you. I am that mishap. So, again, kind of creepy. Kind of not something you'd expect in a comic book. And, you know, if you think about it, very true. So... You know, Quasar pitches a fit. No, I don't want to die. Man, man, man. Now, uh, Death Urge begins to pull a battle axe out of his torso because, again, he is nothingness. He is oblivion, so he can just pull weapons out of nowhere. And says, no, Quasar, now you're going to die. And they begin to fight. And, of course, everything that Quasar throws at Death Urge just goes through him. 
because one, he cannot die to begin with, and nor can energy emanations wielded by a man who wants to die affect me in the slightest. Quasar takes off like a bullet, and um, our friend Death Urge pulls a pair of skis. Yes, skis, like what you go down a mountain on. Do you know where this comes from? No, I don't. Tell me. They're making fun of Jack Kirby. Because in, when Jack Kirby went to D.C. and created the Fourth World, which is Dark Side, Orion, Light Ray, etc., uh-huh. the messenger of death for the Fourth World was a guy by the name of the Black Racer. It, it was a guy <laughs> dressed up in you know Kirby-esque armor on a pair of skis. <laughs> oh, this book just got ten times better because I love the I love all the tongue in cheek stuff. I love the you know the 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 knowing glance to the uh, uh, to the fourth wall. Uh, so thank you, thank you for sharing that. And I, for all these years, I just thought that was a lame character, but now that I know that he's mocking somebody, I'm just so much happier. Um, okay, so battle, battle, battle. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to try to do the fight any justice. Just let's say that uh, Quasar keeps on rabbiting and uh, Death Urge is um, following in close pursuit. Death Urge keeps shooting at um, shooting arrows and uh, spears and stuff at him and missing and then finally hits him. He starts to go numb but still keeps on trying to rabbit. He's like, shut up, I'm not going to die! You know, Death Urge finally takes him down and hits him. And his body starts to begin being engulfed with the blackness of oblivion, much like the um, um, carnage, um, not carnage, excuse me, um, venom symbiote. And just he's about fully engulfed and saying, no, get off me. I don't want to. Uh, Poof, disappears. Wakes up, no black stuff on him on a really, really crazy alien world, but very, very reminiscent of Doctor Strange. Very reminiscent of old Thor comics, you know, you know, like the, the, the you know, I, Gene, I'm sure you remember this with the old oh, yeah. Eye of Odin, you know, tells mm-hmm. them the story, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we're, we're definitely into Marvel cosmic right here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And now he's being introduced to Eon. And who, what are you? If you're in league with that death urge, you can spare me the introduction. <clears throat> I am no ally of that whelp. I am Eon, he who waits. I am the offspring of eternity, the personification of the life force of this universe. I am the offspring of the cosmic axis around which the universe swirls and dances. I am the offspring of time, the first dimension that came into being, without which no other dimension would be possible. Of course, snarky comments from Quasar, but this is where we're getting introduced to, you know, as you say, Marvel Cosmic and my first love. And going on, introductions continue, and we find out that Quasar is to become the next protector of the universe, because Eon, from time to time, when there is going to be a cosmic uh, upheaval, will appoint a, uh, a protector of the universe. And we get to see a whole line of former protectors, all wearing the quantum bands that Quasar now wields, except for Captain Marvel. The, the last entity to assume the mantle was Captain Marvel of the Kree. He was a good man, and he acquitted well the task for which he was groomed. The neutralization of the star killer Thanos. But Marvel's dead now, having succumbed to the, de- the, succumbed to the ravages of disease, and the time has come to appoint his successor. And then, of course, Quasar points out that, hey, he didn't wear the quantum bands. And 
Eon then retorts, true, Marvell was meant to acquire the quantum bands, but through happenstance over which I had no control, they had fallen into the wrong hands. Well, why didn't you just make Marvel Boy your champion then? Because again, you know, he can't just, you know, he can't just graciously <laughs> say thank you. He says, champions are born, not made. Marvel Boy was ultimately unworthy. But once the quantum bands were on him, they could not be removed until he died. So again, we've got Eon, uh, the abstract personification of the universe's life force. Pretty cool. Quasar finally accepts that he is chosen and that, yes, you are my chosen one, Wendell Vaughn. You have the requisite abilities, intelligence, courage, and resourcefulness. I hereby appoint you protector and entrust you with the mission of safeguarding the universe from the greatest threat uh, to its existence I have ever perceived. And then we find out there are three things about this threat. Uh, the threat will come from space. It will manifest itself on your world, and it will try to slay me to gain the secret of cosmic awareness. Now, this is a setup that happens way, way, way later in the comic series. I won't ruin it, but uh, it certainly does make for a nice storyline. And um, this is really what puts Quasar on the map as, you know, the Kevin Bacon of the comic universe, because, you know, again, dies and come back, comes back so many times, cosmic protector, when Thanos come back, came back with the Infinity Gauntlet, his first stop was Silver Surfer Comics. His second stop was the Quasar Comics. Because when you are the protector of the universe and your uh, mentor, so to speak, is the life force of the universe and Thanos' goal is to kill off half of all, all the living beings in the universe, obviously you're going to be an obstacle. Anyway, to finish this issue, Quasar gets appointed. His mind becomes expanded and fully connected to the quantum bands so that he could uh, use their full potential. He uh, says that, you know what, maybe, um, maybe we ought to go back to Earth and maybe you should better stay with me because how am I going to protect you if you're all the way out here and I'm on Earth? Uh, Eon agrees and the first stop is back to, where, back to Uranus. Uh, where it always goes back to Uranus, Gene. Nope. I, uh, yeah, I know. I've been hold that. <laughs> and then uh, um, uh, Death Urge is there. Oh, you're back. Blasey, blasey, blasey. And now Quasar's got purpose in life. He's got his confidence back uh, and no longer secretly, you know, internally wants oblivion. And so now he is capable of fighting off Death Urge. They fight. He beats him. And then Again, foreshadowing, lots of foreshadowing going on this. Yes, the life urge burns too strongly within you now uh, for me to deliver you to oblivion's embrace. Farewell, Quasar. When we meet again, you will beg me to kill you, and I will refuse. And with that, he's gone. Quasar and Eon take off into space. Boy, it's going to be a long ride home. Don't worry about that, Quasar, my young Padawan learner. I'm going to teach you how to quantum jump. And now he's uh, basically teleporting over interstellar uh, distances and is back to Earth in a matter of minutes. Fifteen seconds later, excuse me, I'm reading the little box at the top that I normally don't. And they're back off to his dad's house because isn't that where we all go when we oh, come yeah. home from Uranus, his dear father's <laughs> house? Uh, last thing, back page, stellargrams, of course, where you can write in. But... Um, Something they did for a short period was they had a little educational piece, and they had Uranus, the seventh planet, and had some 
Uh, interesting facts about Uranus, 84 years for Uranus to complete a single orbit around the sun, and it takes about 17 hours for it to orbit on, rotate on its axis. So a lot of really neat things happen uh, in Quasar, and they try to throw in a little edumacation for us dummies uh, that <laughs> read comic books. Um, and that is Quasar number two. Very nice. Yeah, it's definitely these two issues were my introduction to Quasar because I didn't, I don't remember seeing him before that. Probably because I didn't get into comics until after he was, you know, basically on his way out the sure. first time. Sure. Uh, something I do want to point out though, mm-hmm. between these two issues, mm-hmm. Shield, who is the big granddaddy of all espionage agencies, apparently can't do a damn background check. Oh God. Because there's the scientist in the first issue who's an agent of AIM, uh-huh. and then in this issue they they talk about the uh, the superhero initiative uh-huh. where two of the four that's fifty percent were double agents. Nick <laughs> Fury needs needs somebody else to be his right eye. Jeez, right, right, and you know what? You know what? I'm gonna just to fast forward a little bit. <laughs> That's hysterical, by the way. But <laughs> now, you know, like, this is why you won the side with Captain America during the superhero registration initiative, because if S.H.I.E.L.D. can't do a proper background check and people can get into that, that of course, superheroes are going to, or, you know, um, yeah, I'm just going to say superheroes are going to want to keep their identity secret because mm-hmm. th- there's nothing, nothing is sacred. Nothing, you know, there's nowhere that these bad guys can't get into because they're always thinking like Dr. Doom. Right. Of course, he has diplomatic immunity. <laughs> he certainly does. <laughs> he certainly does. Um, so, anyways, um, to wrap up, I guess, because we, we're trying to keep these podcasts on the shorter side. There are some that go hours, and that's great. I Listen, if you've got stuff to talk about, that's wonderful, but I don't want to bore crap out of you. Uh, so Way I, more than you already are. Right, exactly. I know I've went long. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, Gene, uh, what do we want to do to wrap up? Well, why don't we... Uh, take another break right now. Okay. Some real quick. We're going to come back, and then we're going to talk about, one, how you can contact us, mm-hmm. and two, why you should contact us. <laughs> so we'll see you after the break. All right, sounds good. This is the Old Father Odin, and you should be listening to Radio Free Asgard. No, no, that's just not going to work. Let's try this again. This is the evil Loki, and if you hate Thor as much as I do, you should be... All right, let's just try one more thing. Jane Foster here, and you should be... Ah, risen. All right, let's just keep this simple. Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. And we'll see you there. And we're back. And as promised, you can email us. Uh, and we're going to tell you why in a second, but you can email us with any uh, questions or comments about the show at quantum.bands at yahoo.com. Now, for the reason, here's Jif. Okay, so kids, here's the thing. We're going to try to make this a little interactive. I'd appreciate you trolls just walking away and staying under your bridge, but if you'd like to uh, participate, um, we're going to start a little bit of comic book fight club. 
Uh, we want to know your opinion as to who would win in a fight. Um, and to begin, let's start off with something a little, little bit different. Um, let's say we did Omega Supreme from the Transformers series versus Voltron. And I don't mean the car Voltron. I don't mean the three stupid robots to become one big <laughs> robot Voltron. I mean Voltron we all know and love. The five lions becoming one Voltron versus Omega Supreme. Now, I know who I think should win, but uh, some of my friends have very, very strong opinions. To the contrary, I want to know from you who would win, why they would win, and if you could tell me a specific reason. And please, I know, Blazing Sword, I got it. But it's Omega <laughs> Supreme. I don't, I, listen, you could, Omega Supreme is all I want to say. But So you know where I'm leaning, but I want to know where you lean and why. And please, please, just... <laughs> Don't, don't, don't do what people do. And if you do, people do, I'm going to make fun of you on the air. And so you're going to look silly. And I would enjoy that, so I don't <laughs> care who writes in. <laughs> Actually, I think I just challenged. I just think I issued a yeah, challenge. You, yeah, you, you laid it down. They're, they're going to have to pick up the gauntlet now. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> your mom. Because oh. your mom's fat. <laughs> yeah, all right, that's great. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I guess that is going to wrap it up for our first episode. I would like to thank thank you, Jeff, for uh, co-hosting this with me. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for suggesting this, and thanks for allowing me to be a part of it. Oh, great. And um, I would like to thank you, the listener, you know, for actually downloading and spending some of your quality time with us. We really appreciate that. And, <laughs> and I'm sorry you're so lonely for having to do that. <laughs> <laughs> To have to listen to us ramble on, on. <laughs> about a comic book that's twenty five years old. <laughs> it's an anniversary, damn it! Oh, all right, yeah, I'm going to go along with that. There we go. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we pulled it out for the twenty fifth anniversary. Uh, uh, well, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. All right, good night. Thank you for listening to the Quantum Cast, your source for all things Quasar. You can find us on the web at quantumbands.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Google Plus under Quantum Bands. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, please email us at quantum.bands at yahoo.com. Good night, Forbush Man, wherever you are. <laughs> Good night! Oh, put that in, Gene. Put that in. That, that's the that, winner. That's the stinger for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you win. Good one. Good oh, one. man. <laughs> <laughs>